0: I've asked T.L. Simmons to come this morning and share a little bit about what God is doing in his life these days. Uh, would you welcome him to the platform this morning? Uh,
1: thank you very much. Uh, this doesn't get any easier, does it? I uh, <laughs> no. did it at the first service, and it was uh, uh, choked me up, and it'll probably choke me up again. Um uh, Randy asked me to give a testimony of what uh, God's been doing in my life as far as giving goes. And I I, I thought, sure, I'll do it. Uh, about a few months back, we started, you know, um, a program. And it had, we were like 16 months away from being completion and all that. And, and God started talking to me about, about giving, giving more than, than I had been giving. And you know how you have a... a you start talking to god like surely that's not god talking to me Mm -hmm. and and ask me to do that because god know you know you know i tithe but you're asking give me to give sacrificial to actually you know put off some things that i want or some things that i think i need and and to put it off and, and to give sacrificially so God laid this on my heart and I, I said at the uh, first service you know I, I'm a budget guy I believe in the, the word budget it's not a dirty evil word it's a, it's a good word so you know and I'm talking to God I said God this is you know not in my budget right now uh, I've got medical bills I had a little issue a couple of years back I've got a son about to go, go off to college that is, drives me crazy but he's a he's, uh, about to go off to college, and I've got all, all these, I have employees that every two weeks, they expect a paycheck, you know, so I uh, got all this stuff going on, but I felt led to do it. So, started down this path, and it was, it was a little bit of a step. I, I, I'm not lying to you, it's a little bit of a step. So about four months into it, I go check the mail, and I get a letter from the IRS. You know, I've never had one from the IRS. It's good. You open it up, and the first sentence says, "Upon further audit of your 2016 records, we have determined that you paid too much money, and we are sending you a check."
0: Ooh, hallelujah to that!
1: So, uh, and, and you know, it's those little things that you know God will will show you that I've got this. I've got this. Uh, so. It was, it's, it's, it's been a blessing uh, for that but the second part of it in the last I guess two or three weeks so I've had that back and still do, I'm still doing my monthly you know what I said I would do God said why are you holding on to it you know why are you holding, you've got the resources to do it go ahead and make your commitment so I, you know I did that and uh, it, it's just a blessing this is the part I get choked up at Uh, additional blessing from this is that my son sees this and out of his little job first little job he's got he's starting to tithe out of his paycheck now ask yourself what kind of value is that having in his life so hopefully this testimony is, is helping someone that, that is, is asking some questions that, you know, what do I need to be doing right now? And uh, hopefully that's encouraging someone.
0: Thank you. And yeah, the moral of the story is not you will give and the IRS will repay. That's not the way that works the moral of the story is uh, you give in faith and God will condition your heart that's what he's after yeah money is one of the most prominent subjects that Jesus brings up and it's because he can use money to shape our heart or to reveal the treasures of our heart so the Lord is regularly talking about money and when T.L. told me about some of the things that God was teaching him, I said, oh, you got you to share that with our, our whole congregation and let them be encouraged by that. So thank you to T.L. and his family. Hey, Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7 is where we're going to focus today. Next Sunday, I'm already anticipating that, we're a week away, but it's our Christmas celebration. Next Sunday morning, I'll be diving into the, the narrative of of christmas and uh, all of our music will be in that direction it will be a really good time maybe you'll have some family or friends around that you can invite to be with you next sunday as we just worship and praise the lord for his great incarnation and then on the 24th the eve service we will have our 9 p.m uh, traditional service it's one of my favorites that we do here at meadowbrook so i'm hoping you're going to take advantage of both of those opportunities but for today we're in Proverbs chapter five verses, uh, chapter five, chapter six and chapter seven. Now we're not going to read a lot of the text. You're just going to have to do me a favor and go back this afternoon sometime and read Proverbs six, five, six and seven. I think it's going to be well time, well spent, a real value to you, and uh, I think it will be helpful to you. I wish we had time to just read it. It only takes about five or six minutes but there's a lot of truth that I want to unpack in just the beginning of it and then as you read it later I think it'll make more sense to you I just will tell you up front that I felt a little bit awkward throughout the week in preparation for today's message because it's a little odd that Solomon is the one that God has chosen to speak about immorality sexual immorality when he himself was not sexually pure and I I, recognize that God has given Solomon a unique gift of wisdom and discernment understanding uh, and that Solomon for some reason just chose not to walk in that discernment and wisdom Solomon chose to be a preacher who would preach and then not practice what he preaches now I don't mind telling you up front and Kay will be my witness this preacher struggles with that too this preacher struggles many a time with the messages that I believe God has for us as a church. And I know in my own conscience that it, it, there are places in my life that are not clear, that if it were not for God's saving touch and his sustaining grace, that I would be absolutely hypocritical to stand before you. But I stand before you as one is authentic to say that God is doing a work in me. He is not finished with that yet. But so Solomon is, is this guy who is driven in lust. I'll tell you how driven he is. In the peak of his career, he has 700 wives and 300 concubines, so a thousand women in his lives. Now, that goes in stark contrast to what the command of God is in Deuteronomy 17. He says, Of the kings of Israel, you shall not multiply your wives. In other words, it has always been God's plan that he would have one man with one woman for life. And Solomon has said, you know, I think I like it better one to a thousand. And he brings in a thousand women into his life. That's crazy, isn't it? Now, certainly a lot of those are political alliances. But God said, uh, you don't need to be worried about political alliances. You need to be worried about me. You, you need to let me be your alliance and so Solomon has just chosen not to live out the wisdom so I've struggled this week now how is it that God has chosen Solomon to be the one to declare these truths and just sort of nestle down to this this idea that just because Solomon has chosen to negate the word in his own life does not mean the word that has been declared to him by God is negated in our life right just because Solomon or anybody else might tell a lie does not mean the truth that he tells is not any more truthful so here's a declaration that is coming from God through an imperfect individual as all of us are imperfect and God says this is my wisdom I'm hoping I don't know that this is the case because the scripture doesn't give us this direction but I'm hoping that Solomon is in the end of his days and he is writing out these gatherings of proverbs For his son, in essence, saying, Don't waste your life like me. Don't live your life like I've lived it. And he is trying to redirect him. That's my hope that that's what we're having here. Now, I get that idea because Solomon also wrote Ecclesiastes. And if you're a reader of the Old Testament, this is probably a treasure for you, especially in the wisdom section of the scripture because Ecclesiastes is Solomon saying I've lived my life completely off and he's coming to a conclusion in the end I wish I had lived my life this way so there's 12 chapters in Ecclesiastes this is the final of them in the in the last section of it he says this the end of the matter all has been heard so in the end of life everything has been heard everything has been experienced and here's what he's coming down to conclusion because he's been searching his whole life here's the conclusion fear god and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for god will bring every deed into judgment and with every secret thing whether good or evil so in the end solomon says here's what I should have been doing I should have been in relationship with God which is to be in a reverential awe of God to be in that right relationship with him and I should have been obeying his commands but I wasn't doing that I should have had it in my mind that at the end of this life I will stand before God if I had the destination of standing before God in mind throughout this life I probably would have lived life differently I would have been in reverential awe of God and I would have obeyed God but I didn't so he's saying to his son Rehoboam and others make sure you don't follow my mistake make sure you live life differently now if you remember Solomon's life was a pursuit it was a pursuit for meaning and purpose and he went through a lot of different directions at first he's pursuing knowledge and insight then he goes through all this self um, uh, this self-indulgence period where he has houses and palaces and who has a park i mean i have a yard i have some flowers but solomon has parks that's pretty self indulgent in it. And he has wealth, he has riches, he has political power, he has all these women, and he's pursued it in all these ways, but they all left him lacking. So, in the conclusion of his life, he says, I missed it. Life should have been in a different direction. And that's the great lie of today, isn't it? Still the lie of modern error that there is lots that can be lived for in regarding possessions and pleasures this world can afford you a whole lot of that in fact many would say the greatest life to be lived is the life that can be lived today and Solomon is saying no that's not the life that's great so he's giving us some clarity about that let's go back into Ecclesiastes I'll just mention the first of this chapter here's what he says you can hear the anguish In this poetic way of writing remember also he's writing to his son remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say i have no pleasure in them let's time out for a minute Uh, scholars say that solomon more than likely died around the age of 59 Uh, that's an older age in his period of time the era of history in which he's living but that means that he is speaking to his son at the time when his son is in his late 20s or 30s, maybe mid-30s or so. More than likely, his son is married. And his son is raising up a family. And he is going to impart to him wisdom. Now, some of you are in that area era of life yourself. You're in the in the latter half if not in the latter third of your life and as you look back on life you probably have a number of regrets so next year I'll be double nickel and those little benchmarks like that cause you to reflect on life more right some of you are are even beyond me on that and it causes you to reflect and there's probably some some mistakes and some chosen sin along the way some real radical things that you did that you wish you could redo if you could do it all again you would there's great regret in your life I don't know anybody that doesn't have great regret in their life here's Solomon saying I have great regret and here's the way I have regret is I wish I had focused on the creator knowing I'm going back to him I didn't do that you know what Solomon focused on solomon focused on life and significance of solomon not of god and so as he's concluding his life and speaking into the next generation he says here's my best advice to you remember your creator and remember him in the days of your youth because if you remember him the days of your youth you probably won't do a lot of that which i did you won't make the mistakes that i've made He says, as I'm looking back on those things, I have no pleasure in them. Now, listen to this uh, poetic way that he's talking about his older age and life coming to an end. He says, Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars were darkened, and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors of the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond trees blossoms, the grasshoppers drag itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl broken the pitcher is shattered at the fountain the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to god who gave it vanity of vanity says the preacher that's what he calls himself the preacher all is vanity so here he is that sounds really depressing as I'm reading that Uh, here he is one who is in the latter stages of his life who had been given by God a relationship with God treasure wisdom influence land all those things but he neglected in God's grace to act and to live in ways that was pleasing and honorable to God and as he's looking back over his life as the days are waning he's saying. I wish I had focused on the Creator instead of all of His creation. I wish my mind was on Him. In other words, my son, don't waste your life by forgetting your Creator and knowing that you are going to go back to Him. Don't waste your life. Now, no matter where you are in life, 54, 64, 74, 84, wherever you are you can begin to focus on the creator and the day that you'll stand before him you can begin to do that today and that's partly what god is calling us to do to focus on him so i think essentially proverbs is this collection of statements that helps solomon's son to live in a way that he's thinking about the creator and knowing he's going to stand before the creator he's going to live life in that way if Solomon could do it again which is what he's saying in Ecclesiastes he's saying that I would think with the right destination in mind so I'm I love Google Maps because I am in desperate need of Google Maps I'm not very directional and I'm married to one who's even more challenged directionally than I am so together we are not very dynamic with getting someplace so Google is pretty good for us Because if you just put the right address in, Google will get you there. Now, sometimes Google will take you on the scenic tour, but if you put the right address in, you probably are going to end up at the right place. What Solomon is saying throughout Proverbs is get the right address in. Get the right destination plugged in. Because if you plug the right destination in, the waypoint is gonna be correct. Let me put this in his terms if your destination is knowing you're going to stand before god then the path you take is going to be correct but if your destination is i want to live life with significance today and i want all that life can give me your destination is not only going to be wrong but as you get close to whatever that destination is all about you you're going to say like solomon vanity of vanities it was all meaningless it's all nothing if you're in the mid point in your life that's a good point to say am i on the right destination am i heading in the right direction knowing the destination is everybody is going to stand before the face of god in fact you see that in your handout i've written that out for you life originates from god and life concludes before god it starts with him and it ends with him Now this is where Solomon got off track because he didn't recognize that. Certainly he recognized that life originated with God, but he wasn't thinking about living life knowing that it was going to be before, it would conclude being before God. So what Solomon has done is he has lived his life from the expression that he wanted to live it, and he lived it unto himself. He's looking for purpose, he's looking for significance, and he's doing it in ways that comes back to him so that's the reason why he begins ecclesiastes by saying i was seeking significance and knowledge and i was gaining in knowledge but then when i compared knowledge and folly i didn't see much difference in the end because everybody dies you see his destination was off and then he went into self-indulgence and he bought all that stuff and he had all that wealth and he had all those women and he recognized at the end all that stuff doesn't mean anything. And he goes through the rest of these things, the possessions, the wealth, the political power. That's what all of Ecclesiastes is talking about. And in the end, because his destination was, how can I be significant? In the end, he recognized, man, my destination was altogether off. Right? So here's what Proverbs, I think, is saying in summary fashion. I think what Proverbs is saying is, the crea- life begins with the Creator, and it is going to conclude with the creator make sure that you are going the way of creation now that's the order of creation remember he says throughout proverbs that creation was created in wisdom and it has order it has rhythm if we're going to put that in a modern way we would say because life is from the creator make sure you're dancing to the rhythm of creation Make sure you're living in that way of creation that God intended it to be. So God has established creation, He's established the world that it might be the way that God intended it to be and all the people therein that they might live in the manner in which God intended them to live, which by the way is holiness and righteousness and unto Him. So live in the way and then as you're living in the way, recognize there is a truth And those truths are the precepts, principles, the commands, the the, uh, instructions of God. Live in the truth, which God will even give you and me the wherewithal by which we can do that. So live in the way, the rhythm of God. Live in the truth of God, which has been given to us by God's Word, the Bible. And then live in the life of God that there is an eternal life and live in that destination that destination which we're walking to so all people are walking to a destination and that destination is that they will be before the face of God now everybody ought to know that it is given to all of us once to die and after that judgment right so everybody's going to stand before the face of God Some people will stand before the face of God in the judgment of God, known as the great white throne judgment. Those in faith are gonna stand before the son of God and it will be at his elevated seat called the Bema seat. And we will give an account to everything done in this body. It won't be unto hell, won't be unto judgment, but it will be unto rewards. What has been done in this body? Have you been faithful with the things that I have given to you? so people who live go back to that little last diagram if you will people who live one more back people who live with this I have been created and in the creation there is a way by which I must live and the way is revealed by the truth of God so I ought to obey the truth of God in the empowerment of God and that will bear forth life life abundant for today and eternity and for eternity tomorrow now this connects doesn't it because we know Jesus came on the scene and remember what he says I am the way I am the truth and I am the life So, he is the fulfillment of all that Solomon, in his wisdom, was communicating throughout the Proverbs. Jesus is the wisdom of that. He is the way, he's the truth, and the life. And so we surrender our lives to him. Now, what Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 is doing is they are helping us to focus on the way, the truth, and the life, specifically when it comes to sexual purity, when it comes to fidelity when it comes to life and marriage and solomon has determined this to be so essential to his son that he has given two and a half chapters to some of the most direct teaching that you'll find in the bible about sexuality and so he's wanting his son to understand the realities of all of that now as you know we Have been questioning some of why God chose Solomon to do this when he lived outside the way the truth and life Uh, but it is God's choice and God's truth is still manifested here what we recognize through Solomon's life and even in Rehoboam's life in our own is the truth is there the way the truth and life is before us but there are two opposing forces that are coming to us regarding that God comes to us in the way, truth, and life through Jesus Christ, and he makes himself known. First, he does it generally. Hang with me for a minute. He comes to us generally in the creation so that there is no one without, with excuse that there is a God. Then he comes to us specifically in Jesus, and he reveals himself. That's what Christmas is all about. We are celebrating that God has come in the flesh to make himself known in a very specific revelation. And then he gives us the, the word of God. Uh, god's word that is communicated by the spirit so god is enabling us at all times to have that wisdom and discernment and elevation of truth in our lives all right the same time god is coming to us the enemy is coming against us right and and he discounts that there even is a creator it's called evolution and he discounts that there's a creator and if there's not a creator then there is no created order that's how you can redefine things that are of nature that everybody ought to know this is the way things are but you can discount and change that and say oh it's not that everybody is male or female you could be 101 other things but when you discount that there's a creator there's a created order you can just rewrite everything right and the enemy comes against that the enemy comes against a whole lot of other stuff he he comes as a as a liar he's the father of lies he comes in all the false religions of the world he changes the narrative of the gospel completely he puts people in positions in churches that teach false doctrine what what is said to be the doctrine of demons i mean he's constantly coming against us so with the way the truth and the life you have god coming to elevate that you have the enemy of god coming to diminish that and what Solomon is saying to Rehoboam in chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Proverbs is there's a voice to be heard. And the voice to be heard is wisdom. So he says three different times in all three chapters, listen to my words, listen to my understanding, listen to wisdom, because God has given it to Solomon. And at the same time, he says, you need to understand there's an opposing voice and it is the voice of of a forbidden woman now that's a personification of the temptation to sin sexually he's speaking to a son so he calls uh, the temptation of sexual sin a forbidden woman if he was speaking to a daughter he would have said a forbidden man or if he was speaking to the 21st century 21st century he would say the voice of a digital bot (laughs) it just depends on what what the the construction is that he's trying to communicate so he's speaking to a son so he says don't listen to the voice of the forbidden woman in fact listen to wisdom and you will discern the voice of the forbidden woman i thought that was interesting that it doesn't even say you have to distinguish between the two you don't even have to make a choice he says listen to wisdom and you will have a discerning ear and your lips will guard knowledge so elevate wisdom listen to jesus if you're going to bring that summary down it would be this listen to jesus because you want to be on the winning side you know of these voices Of good and evil of the voices of God and the enemy of God Satan there is a winner in this and Jesus is the winner now I could give you a number of verses but let me just give you one it's the conclusion in Revelation 20 verse 10 one day the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur and will be tormented day and night forever and ever that sort of tells you that the end of the story is Jesus wins Jesus came in order to defeat the devil and his lies so clearly we want to be on the victorious side now the problem is that satan doesn't reveal himself when he's speaking it's not like he's wearing horns and a pitched tail right he comes in the voice of a forbidden woman he comes dripping honey the words that sound sweet but they're actually bitter wormwood that will bring destruction and death into your life so Sol- solomon is personifying this whole notion of moving away from sexual purity he's personifying that as a woman whose words are like honey but they are actually deadly and he concludes in chapter 7 verse 27 her house is the way to sheo to to death going down to the chambers of death so here's these two voices jesus truth and wisdom yields life you listen to him you'll listen to wisdom you'll listen to truth and you'll have life or satan who lies and will lead you in folly unto death so the call is to listen to wisdom now listen to solomon how he says this very practically to his son we're in chapter five verses one through six my son be attentive to my wisdom incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil but in the end she is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword her feet go down to death her steps follow the path to Sheol. she does not ponder the path of life her ways wander and she does not know it so our call is to be attentive to wisdom to listen to jesus it's such a simple but profound truth listen to jesus from the bible incline your ear to understanding what he's saying there listen to the wisdom incline your ear to understanding know the way in which god has called us to live and god has put creation in order to be lived and move in that way in doing so you will be a discerner and you will hear The voice of folly and say that's not the direction that I'm to go that doesn't lead me to the destination that I want to be led to that doesn't put me in a good place when I stand before God so he talks over and over and over for two and a half chapters about sexual purity and you just have to ask yourself now in the 21st century here we are what's the big deal with God and somebody having a fling why is God so worried about a a hookup why is God bothered by friends with benefits why is God alarmed when sexting is going back and forth why why is God bothered Randy if I read a romance novel why is it such a big deal that I have fantasies and pleasure myself why is it that cohabiting is against God and His Word. Why? Why can't two people who love each other of the same sex experience love together? What, what's the big deal? Why does the Bible call all of that sinful? Why does God care like that? Why is He bothered by sexual sin, and why does it come at such a high cost? And the answer of that is found all the way back in Genesis, at the very beginning. In chapter one and two is the beginning, right? That's what Genesis means—the beginning the beginning of it all and it was so essential for people to get this that paul wanted to make sure he quoted from it in the new testament for the churches that they might have this letter of his that would be delivered around and it takes them right back to genesis chapter 2 look what he says it's in ephesians 5 it's on the screens but it's a quotation of of genesis 2 therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh now, if you go down to verse 33, it says this, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. That's a. Both of those are strong and powerful verses and we ought to lock into them. We ought to know them. We ought to live out the expression of those. But what I'm really intrigued about is verse 32. Verse 32 says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. So what's the mystery? The mystery is that, you should leave your father and mother. She shall leave her father and mother. And the two of you come together to become one flesh. That's a mystery. And the mystery is this isn't about two people getting married and having a certificate of marriage. The mystery is that that from the very beginning all the way back to Genesis 2 was to point out the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why it's important. That's why Proverbs 5 The latter part of chapter 6 and all of 7 is so talking about sexual sin and marital fidelity because it is the part of creation that God says I'm going to put a living example together for life and it is going to point out my relationship with the people that I love and it will be the expression of the gospel in a living way that's what marriage is Marriage is not about two people coming together that they might live happily ever after. Marriage is about two people coming together that they might be one and express the gospel of Christ. And when we express the gospel of Christ, we live happily ever after. That's what marriage is all about. Somehow, way, the church has lost direction in that. And we need to recapture that because that's the central part of the narrative of sexual health and sexual righteousness sexual purity and marital fidelity that it is the expression of the gospel so if you think about what god was doing in the beginning he created adam and adam had a great relationship with god adam's relationship was not lacking and adam's purpose was not lacking god had given him purpose and significance he said i have given to you all creation manage it bring bring productivity from it but then God determined that it was not good that Adam was alone so he took a part of Adam and he created Eve so out of sacrifice from Adam comes the creation of this one who would be a helper now look what God's doing here God says of the first husband I'm going to take a sacrificial part of you and I'm going to make woman from that And you are to share with her your relationship that you have with me. And you are to share with her the significance of life that I've given to you to manage and to cultivate and to bring productivity out of my creation. And the two of you will become one in that. That's what he did with the first marriage, the first Adam. Now, the second Adam is described as Jesus. And Jesus is the groom to the church. And Jesus sacrificially gives himself for us that we might be in relationship with God. Jesus has the mission of God to bring the glory of God throughout the world. And he shares that mission with us. That is the commissioning that we would make known the way of salvation. And he lives as we uh, are united with him. He lives as we are one together. So what Jesus is doing is he is helping us in our marriages to identify the gospel and what God is doing through the gospel. He reveals this great groom and bride with Jesus in the church. Now when a man is willing to faithfully surrender himself to a woman, inviting her to a lifelong covenant relationship with him and he's willing, she is willing to accept and come under his care and authority as his helpmate to become one flesh with him and him with her, then they reveal the covenant lifelong relationship that God wants them to have that he might be revealed in the way of his church. So when a man's life is pure and his ways are sacrificial towards her and he blesses her and he serves her and he meets her needs, then he represents Jesus Christ well. relationship of christ in the church and when she understands this unity that god has brought together and makes covenant with him and engages with him in the mission of christ then she too represents this love relationship that the church has with god so god doesn't tell us how many friends we can have he doesn't even tell us if our friends have to be male or female and what what portion of our friendship has to be any specific gender? And God doesn't tell Meadowbrook how many members we ought to have and the ratio of the members, male to female. And God doesn't tell you about your workplace and your coworkers, where you ought to be working, how many people you ought to have in the co-working environment and whether they ought to be male or female. God doesn't do that but when it comes to the relationship of marriage God says I'm going to make it very defined it's going to be one person in a covenant relationship for your life or for her life and you are going to live male and female the two will become one because I will use that relationship as a way to communicate to the rest of the world about my gospel about who I am and about the love relationship that I want to have with them that's what God is doing and when we take that part of the, God, of, of the message and remove it from marriage, then we lose the major fundamental understanding of what marriage is all about. You and I know we are not given to marriage in heaven. Jesus said it himself when he was asked, Hey, who, whose wife will this woman be? she's had more than one husband whose wife will she be in heaven he says you don't get it you've missed it all together you're not given in marriage in heaven because it is meant to point to something that has been fulfilled in heaven jesus and his people so live our lives in a way that our marriages move in that direction to communicate the gospel you say, well i'm not married live your life sexually pure because you recognize that sex within the boundaries of marriage is beautiful and you want to elevate that relationship such that people would recognize this relationship is different than every other relationship. The world might be saying, oh, it ought to be free and fancy. You can do whatever you want to do. But you understand that God has elevated that to a unique place. And because of that, even though you're not married, you elevate the truths of that into your life so that you live purely in a sexual way. You are pure. Now, having 700 wives and 300 concubines botches the illustration that God was putting forth. Well, that's clear right when we get that you can't have a thousand wives and somehow portray that that's Jesus and his church it, it just doesn't work but now tap it down to our lives today watching pornography and sexting and reading the romance novels and watching racy movies where all kinds of things are put on the screen, being involved in an affair, having sexual experiences with the same sex, pleasuring yourself with fantasies, it all botches the way of man and woman to come together in a lifelong covenant relationship that communicates the gospel. You say, well, that's pretty blunt. That's what Proverbs is telling us, to recognize that. So sexual sin is unlike any other sin. It has spiritual consequences that are deep, greatly distorting the gospel image that Jesus wants to be portrayed. So how do we foster healthy relationships and healthy sexual lives? Could I just give you three and then uh, we'll close out? Here's three. Number one, have, have a biblical worldview and nurture that worldview. So there's a lot of inundated messages that are coming from the world, no doubt. All right, those are all dripping with honey, but they are bitter wormwood that lead to the grave, lead to death, they lead to destruction. Had Solomon listened to wisdom of God more than he listened to his lust of flesh, his kingdom probably would not have been divided. It, Judah and Israel came out of the division from Solomon's sin his idolatry would never have been brought into the land he made the land idolatrous and set up all kinds of false places of worship right across from the temple on the eastern hillside he put a false temple right there where he could have his sacrifices why did he do that because the wives from other countries that he had instituted that into his life if he had maintained a biblical worldview that would have set him up well If he had nurtured that biblical worldview, so have that biblical worldview. Don't listen to the voices of the forbidden woman or the forbidden man or the digital language that's being passed through your computer. Have a biblical worldview and listen to that wisdom. Secondly, Have a relationship with someone with whom you can see and hear God's wisdom. So that person needs to have a biblical worldview, obviously. And you talk about that. You talk about struggles in your life. You talk about the temptations in your life. And that person speaks into you those truths that are elevated, the voice of wisdom. I have a relationship with an individual like that and we speak into each other's lives. Two guys meeting together in a restaurant every week for breakfast so that we can speak biblical truth into each other's lives. That's essential. The Bible says the best relationships for that if you're wanting to be built up is find somebody older with a biblical worldview and let them speak into your life. Older women speaking into younger women, older men speaking into younger men. And then number three, have healthy and appropriate conversations with your kids. So the world is educating and discipling our kids and our grandkids relative to their understanding and desires for sexuality. You and I, who have biblical worldviews, and the church needs to be on the forefront of that conversation with our kids. And and unfortunately, you and I are having to have those conversations at a much younger age with our children than we ever wanted to. But you have the biblical perspective, you have the truth from God, you have wisdom from Christ, you know the way of God, you ought to be communicating that to your kids. If you don't, the internet is. If you don't, the kids on the back of the bus are. If you don't, it will be like a friend of mine unfolding a piece of paper and handing me a portion of a magazine that had no business being in my hands and in my eyes and in my mind. Today, it's just handing the phone and it's 24 hour access to it. If you're not communicating your kids about the risk of that and the danger of that and the pathway and the destination of that, somebody will lead them in the wrong way. So have the conversations. There's a couple of resources that I put in your handout that if you're a parent or grandparent, you might wanna tap into those. There's a series called The Talk that I think is really good and will be very beneficial For parents to go through with their kids at the appropriate ages. And there's several in the series that you can pick from, depending on the age of your children. And then we had Ricky Shillette here with us a couple of weeks ago. I've mentioned his resource in the handout as well. So Meadowbrook's message is not sex is bad. Listen, sex is not bad. Sex is wonderful, it's beautiful, and it is glorious in the framing that God has established and that as a man and a woman making a lifelong commitment together in a covenant relationship in a way demonstrating the gospel of Jesus Christ and in that it is absolutely wonderful our message is not it's bad our message is it is good and God has a plan and has limitations so that you might experience it in its fullness So if you're a student here today and you're already hooked on pornography, ask for the Spirit to empower you to disconnect, to unplug from that because you will not be intoxicated with your wife one day if you have all these images of other women in your mind. And if you're a woman and you're reading through the romance novels and you have it in your mind that that's what a man is to be and it's not a biblical man, then you have the wrong framing in your mind and there's no way that you can be a participant in this gospel message in your marriage if that's what you're doing. So close the books and put them down and let wisdom be elevated rather than the voice of the forbidden woman or forbidden man or forbidden whatever Let that be the elevated voice, wisdom. And let God be glorified in that. Now, to some degree, all of us in this room have experienced a destructive force of sexual sin. Some perhaps more than others. Perhaps you've heard the words of a forbidden person saying to you, it's no big deal. You deserve better than what you have. or No one will know. Or maybe you've heard the whispers of pornography calling out to you. Everybody does it. Or perhaps you've given into the pleasure of somebody wanting a sexting image from you, and you've received the same from others. Or maybe you've heard the voice of an old boyfriend or girlfriend through Facebook Messenger saying, hey, we ought to get together for old times' sake. Whatever the voice is, I can tell you that it might drip with honey, when you hear it but God says that it is actually bitter unto death and though it has various forms of revealing itself there is one image behind it and it is the image of Satan and with wisdom you and I can hear God's truth and distinguish and put away those temptations with the power of Christ for one sexual sin sets its hook it immediately begins to bring you and me away from God, off the path of God. It causes us to forego the notion that there is a day coming that we will stand before him and give an account to everything done in this body. So I would encourage you, as I encourage myself in saying these things, to let wisdom, let wisdom be on the forefront. Choose Christ and be the bearer of the image that Christ has made it so that we can be. Now, if you've experienced the brokenness, I sense the heaviness in some of your hearts. If you could change the narrative, you would, but you can't. But you can come to the place that Solomon did and say, looking back, as my eyes are growing dim and my hearing is failing, looking back, if I could do it again, I would. So let me speak to the younger generation and let me warn them. That's what he's doing. He can't transform his life from the past, but he can transform his life in the power of God for today. And he can speak into the next generation. And that's our greatest hope and opportunity, even in our most secret sin, that God can use even that. Or maybe you're still involved in it maybe you're on the path of folly and you're moving towards destruction can i remind you that jesus is a redeemer he'll take you right off that path and he'll put you on a path of righteousness again so i don't know randy it's been a long time oh in the glory of god he'll give you the mind of christ in the hope of christ he will give you the holy spirit he will reconcile what is broken and he can empower you anew trust him trust him oh lord i pray even now that freedom in christ would be known that wisdom would excel and that we would embrace wisdom with our mind and heart and soul that we might be given to jesus and we might live in a way that's glorious for those who have been enslaved i pray that this is the day of freedom This is the day that Jesus would break the bondage that has held them so deeply. And I pray that Christ himself would be glorified in the midst of that. Give us freedom, I pray, in the name of Jesus, unto his glory. Amen.